Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Carolyn Weber is the author of Sex and the City of God, a memoir of love and longing, published by InterVarsity Press this year. Her previous books are Surprised by Oxford and Holy is the Day, both which also are beautiful spiritual memoirs. She currently teaches at Heritage College and Seminary and is a highly accomplished literature professor and scholar who still says things like, Augustine is a hoot. And that's one of the things I really like about her. I'm Karen Stiller, and I hope you enjoy this conversation about Carolyn's latest book, The Nature of Marriage, The Role of Reading, and Other Wonderful Things. Carolyn, your book is called Sex and the City of God. Tell us first, what is what is behind the title of the book? Why did you call it that? And how did you choose that provocative title? Well, thank you, Karen. Uh, that is probably a good place to start. It's I didn't intend for the title to be salacious or um, compromising in any way. It actually came to mind because uh, I've had over the years so many conversations with friends and students, and we have such a cultural idea of rate of dating relationships through things like Sex in the City, which was such a a bit of an iconic television show. Um, that ran that really showed the freedom in relationships and that sort of thing. And I thought about, well, what happens if we actually tack on of God, as well as thinking about the concepts of two very different types of cities or citizenships? What does it mean actually to have relationship, to be in relationship as a as a Christian, um, as opposed to not having a faith? And so the title actually grew out of there, kind of hoping to be somewhat witty, but also hoping to be actually quite serious, having sort of a foot in both worlds, so to speak. And I, um, I've, I've read this book, I really, really enjoyed this book. And I was very, I mean, it's, it's, it is a book about marriage, in a lot of ways. And also, I think a book about longing and identity. But how do you describe the book, Carolyn, to people who ask about it? Well, I think the subtitle was something that I really gave a lot of thought and prayer over with my IVB team, um, A Memoir of Love and Longing. I was really interested in how we long, our desires, what we are longing for. And I was really moved by Augustine's premise that we all long to know God, um, that we're restless until we find our home in him. And concepts like Zensuk, you know, uh, the notion of longing by C.S. Lewis that he raises, and even in my own studies of romantic literature that I was studying when I first became a Christian myself, that sort of infinite longing. So this large philosophical longing we all have, I think that's at the essence of what it means to be human, but also those little longings, the ways that we try to fill ourselves, fulfill ourselves in all sorts of things except for God. And, uh, and so I was really interested in exploring what it means to long for things um, and what it means to love, to order our loves, how to love best, how to love in ways that the world doesn't always uh, it sort of tosses that word around loosely. So what are ways that we are called to love specifically as Christians? And I really wanted to explore both of those concepts, loving and longing. Yeah, that term are little longings. And also, uh, if you could unpack that a little more, and also what, what do our longings tell us about ourselves, and ultimately our relationship to God? Oh, I think that's such a beautiful question. Um, I mean, I think the whole human condition is about longing, it's longing to be known, 
it's longing to be desired. I think it's so powerful in scripture that at Revelation, we have the gift of the white stone with our name on it that only God and ourselves will know. He reveals our full name in him. And at that white stone of acquittal, we, we all long to be known. We want to be known deeply by our friends or by our partners, or um, we just want so badly to belong or to be affirmed or to be included or or to be known that we are we are significant in some way. And I think little longings point to that too. Um, big longings and little longings um, that need for, for us to somehow have meaning and be significant. And ultimately that can only be completely fulfilled in Christ and in, in God. But those little longings, I think, point us to him. So I, I really very much agree with the tradition of Augustine or Lewis, as I mentioned before, that those longings show that we are homesick for something, a state of perfection that we were built for, but we don't have in the fallen world. And kind of like a GPS that directs us to God and directs us to look at what is missing in our lives and, and why we're looking for him, where we're looking for him. When you talked about the ordering of our loves, and I, I, I was thinking about my husband because so much of this book is also about um, your journey toward marriage and your relationship with your husband. And so one thing that my husband has been very good, but annoying, I will say about <laughs> has been the use of the word love. So if I'm, if I, if I tell my dog, oh, I love you, Dewey, or I love jujus or whatever, we've had these conversations about what the word love means in these different areas. So I wanted to ask you about that, but also it does remind me of the role our spouses or partners or even, you know, good friends, if we're single, I guess, can play in our lives of, of I don't know, pushing us in these areas of needed growth. Mm hmm. Well, absolutely. I mean, with our friendships and in fellowship and, um, you know, even with loving our animals and each other, uh, love is it is a word that's tossed around a lot culturally. And and yet as as Christians, I think we're always called to look at the tension between love and freedom, love and truth, um, grace and truth and the combination of those things and how best to love. What's so unique about marriage in particular, I think, um, Karen, is that it's really the only relationship that is a covenant. It's a relation. It's the only relationship we have where we take an oath, a promise to love someone. Um, you know, we don't uh, promise to love our children, <laughs> you know, publicly um, when they're born in that sense or a friend or a, a pet. Uh, a marriage is a whole other notion of covenant and of oath and of thinking about how we continue to love, how best do we love, even when things are, like the marriage vows say, not perfect or ill or poverty or whatnot. Um, how do we sort of crest those things? How do we think um, and pray through how best to love? And so the ordering of our loves was something that really appealed to me because I know when I first became a Christian, I was really taken by the first commandment. I thought actually God seemed to be really tyrannical and somewhat jealous and a bit of a crazy person that he would demand all of me like that. But as I began to grow in my faith, I realized why that first testament really needs to be the foundation of that first commandment needs to be the foundation of all the other commandments um, because uh, we really do need to love God first and then other things fall into place. Maybe not easily, maybe not um, you know, seamlessly, but it, it does give a reference point for us to think about how we are loving um, in, a, in a more faith-filled way. Yeah, 
Carolyn, you mentioned, um, you know, when you first became a Christian and you and I have uh, talked before about some of the, um, if I recall, kind of resistance or pushback or even just questioning you experienced in your academic settings where, you know, people wondered if you had become, you know, some kind of crazy religious weirdo um, (laughs) when you accepted Christ into your life and began this Christian journey. And now here we are years later, and your book, this latest book, is also kind of a journey book. And I'm just wondering, as you stand at this place now, an academic, uh, kind of a long married person, a mother of children um, who are, you know, your family is probably complete now, and you think back of this faith journey, um, what kind of satisfaction or contentment do you think your faith gives you now that maybe you didn't have before in that earlier stage? Well, I think that retrospect always shows even more so the grace of God, that we can really plot his hand in our lives, even when we go through very dark times and it seems like we have been forsaken uh, retrospect is remembering is a really powerful thing. And, and we can often see things later through grace that we didn't see at the time. I, if I'm honest, Karen, I don't know how people live without faith. Uh, if anything, I've become more convicted, even through some really, really hard times that um, God really is with us. And uh, it is a way, there is another way. Um, there, there is another way of living and of loving and of being in relationship and thinking about relationships that's so different from what the media or the world presents. And so as much as it's certainly not perfect and I certainly have my struggles, I, I, you can't unsee what you've seen. And I've seen God's goodness in my life at times, graciously, very up close. And I've also seen the ways that he's carried me through tremendous pain or worry or fear or concerns and how he's also led me to think about how he also loves the other people in my life, um, as he does me, including my husband, for instance. And and so, actually, I just grow more and more convicted in a way. It's it's like everything I've read has only proven and pointed more towards the glory of God. As a literature professor, um, the more I live my life and I, I realize that he is a tower and he is a place to go to, even with the things that we are uh, most broken over. Um, I, I really do see his presence and see him at work in, in my life. Yeah. You know, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and I've been thinking about this and I, I wondered if you were experiencing the same thing, but something about this COVID season and, um, I don't know, speaking with people in my life who, uh, maybe I'm close to, but they don't, we don't share faith. And I, I've just mm. become more and more, you know, convinced of um, just the, the comfort and the peace and the love and uh, that I'm so glad I have at this stage of my life. Absolutely. I, I would agree. And I, I think you raised something really important there that I was trying to explore with Augustine too, and the notion of the two cities, you know, the, the city of God and the city of man. And the eternal city as opposed to the temporal city and which which citizenship do you hold? And I think what you raise there is, is what I've seen is that no matter how close I am to a friend, how much I love them or how long I've known them, if they don't know Christ, there's this shining barrier, you know, there's still something missing and yet I can meet a stranger in Christ in an elevator and, you know, go deeply or shallow in a moment with them. You know, I can ask a stranger in Christ to pray with me. 
it's really a pretty amazing thing. And again, that's not to say that Christians are perfect yeah. by any means, and we all hurt each other in all sorts of ways. We're all fallen. But um, th- it's a very different relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's also that way in a marriage, for instance, where at least if you can pray together or you have the same reference point, um, you know, you're equally yoked. It's a, it's a whole different game and it's a whole other way. And, and, and then you're open to um, asking for wisdom, looking for guidance, being open to grace working in your life. Yeah. I'd like, I was thinking about your honesty in your uh, book and I think honesty in writing or, you know, in any kind of storytelling we do about ourselves uh, takes courage. And uh, for people who aren't writers per se, but they're just living the Christian life, I just wondered if you could speak to that role of transparency and vulnerability and, and just telling our true stories to each other as a way of encouraging and keeping company with each other. Mm, that's such an important question. And it touches a lot on, you know, when you write memoir too, right? You always want to practice the golden rule and and not tip so much or be alert to how you would want to be presented yourself. But I think there's so much power in sharing our stories um, and sharing them in ways that, you know, you pray over what you think is important to disclose or not, um, praying over the people that are involved. But the New Testament is full of that, you know, precisely Testament and bearing witness, I mean, the whole Bible, but especially the New Testament. And it's so encouraging to hear people share truth in Christ. Um, again, not gratuitous, gratuitous truth, not uh, just trying to get you know, attention for oneself or trying to um, be cynical about God, but actually trying to open your heart and, and look at what worked in your life as a result of God's grace and encouraging others. I, I can remember, for instance, um, really being moved by um, someone who was talking to me about Christian marriages and, and saying that sometimes, you know, people are in it because they're committed. They're just committed. They're going to they're going to be miserable, but they're committed. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds really awful. (laughs) Right. And of course, there's a time, you know, for obedience. Obedience is really, you know, eyes that see in the dark when we can't see. And and God blesses out that obedience when we can't tell. Sometimes we are just looking for the switch in the dark. Um, But he always blesses that obedience and that faithfulness out in ways that we can't always see. And, uh, and then we get to a place of higher ground, we get to a place of higher rock, and we can see back and, and I was really moved by um, other couples, for instance, that had shared points where they felt they had no hope, or they felt really overwhelmed, you know, by all sorts of things. And they really um, were able to share being committed uh, to God first, and then also committed to loving their spouse and working those things out not in a trite way or a shallow way um, and not just committing to being committed, but actually really trying to commit to what God had um, in mind for them for marriage and for a really intimate relationship and all that that means. And I have found those kind, that kind of form of sharing really heartening and upholding, whether it's with marriage or any other struggle, because it's an opportunity for us to say to our fellow brethren, you know, God is good. Look at the work in our life or be encouraged in this or have hope in this. We can't always see where it's going to go, but he gives us the, you know, the step at a time that we can, that we can manage. Yeah, I love that idea. And as you were speaking, Carolyn, I was thinking uh, that journey of marriage to uh, like I, Brent and I have been married 30 years now, which we can hardly believe, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But when we, and you know, he, we really, 
like being with each other and we really enjoy each other's company. And I mean, there's no one I'd rather be in a pandemic with. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it does remind me of that long relationship with Christ too, after many years, that same um, companionship and the beauty of sticking it out through the really tough times, like you said, and then being willing to be honest about those times to encourage and help other younger uh, marriages, because I do find, and I wonder if you could comment on this, I wonder how many people are being honest and vulnerable, because I do find that when we are, often people are so grateful and relieved um, and surprised by our honesty. And I so that makes me think that people aren't sharing very honestly sometimes as much as we might with each other. That's so true. And I I think that Jesus always approaches everyone with the truth. Um, And I remember William Drummond, the minister saying, you know, um, never give people a thimble full of the gospel, give them the whole thing, you know, and and embody the whole thing. Um, We we don't know what truth somebody needs to hear, right, at that particular time. And there's a lot of pressure on Christians, I think, Karen, too, to, to, to look perfect, to be perfect, that somehow something's wrong if they're not joyful or happy instead of recognizing that there's a huge distinction actually between happiness and joy, Christian joy, and you can still seek and, and experience immense joy as a Christian, even in very difficult circumstances, and that your spouse is not going to be your God and your spouse is not going to fill your emotional bucket or be everything to you. And we still need to be looking to God for that joy and looking to God for that way to complete us so that we can help our spouse and that we can also help ourselves. Um, And so I'm always really encouraged when people share the truth um, or that they feel that um, they can, they don't have to be perfect uh, in terms of a, a happy way that somehow that's dropping the ball as a Christian. Um, because that's certainly not how we see Jesus interact with any of the healings as, as well. Uh, none of those people are very happy <laughs> or faking it. Or And it, it also means there might be times in your marriage where you're very content and you're very happy. And that's fine, too. And, and you know, what got you to that place? Because I would agree that I enjoy Ken's company immensely. And I love being with him in a pandemic. Um, although there have been moments, and I'm sure he would say the same. <laughs> but you know that that way that it well, yes, that way that it mirrors Christ, right? Like there's definitely times with Jesus too. Like even it makes me feel better that even Mother Teresa said, you know, I'm um I you know I'm married to Jesus in a sense, and I find him kind of a difficult husband at times. You know, I mean, if Mother Teresa said that, oh my goodness, there's hope. So I think it's really great to be living in truth and faith and love because. Love really does cover all of those things. Yeah, beautiful. Carolyn, I wanted to talk to you about literature and reading because you are a professor of literature and and it obviously features, uh, you know, really prominently in, in your own writing and your storytelling. So um, I guess if I could ask you to speak to just to the value of good reading and what that means, and then I'd love to hear what you've been uh, reading lately that is encouraging to you. Mm, well, that's a great question. And I always love talking about literature and reading and um, I have a daughter, Karen, that's a voracious reader. She reads almost like a book a day more than me. And then my sons would probably eye roll at that question. Oh, my goodness, mom is making us read this. Um, <laughs> but I really like I say to my kids, you really are what you read. Uh, I, I really believe in many ways we are like a palimpsest or we're like this tabula rasa. Like we have to be 
thinking again about our hearts right before God, as Proverbs 4 says, but you know, we are what we read and what we think through and what we digest. And, um, uh, and I think it's very important. I agree again with C.S. Lewis for every, you know, new book, you should be reading three old ones. Um, maybe I'm biased as an 18th and 19th century professor, but I love reading um, thoughts through the ages. That's why I thought Augustine was still so amazingly relevant to us today. You know, Augustine's a hoot. Um, a lot of these saints are a complete hoot. They lived lives that were actually yeah. very human and very real. And, you know, his mother prayed for him all the time until he became a Christian. And so I think um, all that stuff is wonderful to read. Uh, I, and I loved your book, Karen. I'm not just saying this, but I think The Minister's Wife was a beautiful read for me. As I said, so many of my friends are wives of pastors. And uh, and I thought that it was just a beautiful, a beautiful book. I love reading all sorts of things, literature, theology, um, and I, I, I really love spiritual autobiography as well. Uh, um, I've always been sort of drawn to that, to hearing people's stories and, and, again, the goodness of God in their lives. Beautiful. You know what I'm reading right now um, is On the Road with St. Augustine, A Real World, Spirituality for Restless Hearts by James oh. K.A. Smith, which I'm sure you've read. Yes, I did years ago, um, when I was a little while ago, um, I had, I, I have some really dear friends that whenever they know what I'm working on, they send me stuff, which is so great. So I have had, um, <laughs> yeah, people will be like, Oh, you're reading so here you go. <laughs> really lovely friends. So yeah, I did really enjoy reading around Augustine. And I, I did do a big, a big reading attack again on CS Lewis. I had a while ago, but I had, uh, just gone back to some works that I hadn't read in quite some time or that were a little bit more of an anomaly. And I enjoyed those too. So Carolyn, what else are you doing? And we'll, uh, as we sort of come to the finish line, I'm just wondering how you are staying encouraged and healthy and sane <laughs> during uh -oh. this time. Um, what are you doing that we might be inspired by? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Cause it is a weird time, really unprecedented time. And um, I, I really do encourage um, all of us to just count our blessings. That can sound so trite, but I actually really started doing a gratitude journal. I'd heard about it. Um, a friend of mine who's a psychologist, actually uh, a colleague of mine at my at, uh, Western had shared with me how literally writing three things a day that you're grateful for can increase your positivity, can increase your feeling of well-being and can help battle stress. And actually, he had shared this with me before COVID and in a secular way. And I, and I thought, yeah, okay. And then I actually really started practicing it. And I tried to practice it more as a real spiritual discipline. I've also been practicing um, the examine, the St. Ignatian um, examine, which is uh, a sort of an organized reflection, which also involves journaling. And I love the process of journaling. And I think right now with COVID, having... There, you know, having more time, I mean, in many ways, I feel like my days go faster, you know, with everything else at home with the kids and everything too. But something about journaling, giving yourself some time to enjoy, uh, while there's a lot of fear and concern and worries, for sure. Um, also taking the blessing of being still. This is, I think, been, there's a gift of stillness in there and being still and knowing that I am God, as scripture says, uh, I, I love to do that with a journal or with some prayer time or walk time. And I have found that to be really sustaining that there's a little bit of a, a little break right now in the usual um, sort of chaos of North American living has been brought to an important still or stand in a way. And um, 
to maybe take some advantage of that. Yes. Carolyn, thank you so much, my friend. Oh, thank you, Karen. It's always a delight to hear your voice and to be with you. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.